into the scripture, let me ask you please to pray with me. Father in heaven, now we come to your word and we pray that you would help us. Thank you for uh, calling us to worship you, that we might know you. Thank you for giving us a way to do that together, that we can engage with you in, in a real way and to enter into your presence, to see your glory, uh, to be humbled, to spend time reflecting upon all that you are and all that you've done. And so now I pray, God, that as we come to your word, that you would uh, work it in us. We acknowledge that it's alive. You said it's living, that it's active, and we trust, therefore, as it comes into us by way of our ears and our eyes, as we hear it, as it works in our minds and in our very souls, Father, that its life will be known to us, even as it transforms us, that we may be more like Jesus. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, please, to Colossians in chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, please. I want to read again verses 1 through 17. We've been here for I don't know how long. It'll take a little while before we leave it, but I keep wanting to read this whole context. I'm only going to take up a few more words today, but but I want to see it all um, in its context. Colossians and chapter 3, please. I hope, again, as we worship together, that you're learning to engage with God. I know it's a, an intense time. You come in and, and, and we begin right off the bat and boom, 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 boom. But we, we want to enter into the presence of God. We want to, to, to really concentrate our attention upon Him. People ask me all the time, Bill, what about unbelievers who come to worship? This is how everyone should worship. We should, we should have a sense of the, the presence of God and, 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 and who He is. Uh, and so if you're not a believer, this is, this is what it means. This is how serious God is, not only to us, but simply is. And so we, we enter into His presence. We think about Him and, and who He is. We listen to Him as He reveals Himself to us. We respond to that. That's for all people to respond to. And now we come to this part where we, we open the Scripture. We believe it to be the Word of God. Thus we take it seriously and, 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 and desire for it to transform our lives. We come as those who are in need of God and, and, and want to listen to Him. And hear what he has to say. So Colossians in chapter 3 verse 1. The word of God. If then you've been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above. Not on things that are on, on earth. For you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears. Then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death therefore what is earthly in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you two once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. 
And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I want, if God will help me, simply to take up uh, this portion, the end of verse 12, which, we, which begins with, and patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. My suspicion is I won't get that far. That I won't get to forgiveness because there's much there that needs to be sorted out. So I may have to wait for that till next week. We'll see how this lays itself out. But I want to take up at least patience and bearing with one another and in the context of being a forgiving Uh, forgiving people. Now, you know that Paul is laying out how we're to live as believers. In fact, this little section very much is is, is an answer to his prayer in chapter 1. You might remember Paul starts out this book with a prayer for the people. Verse 9 in chapter 1, he says, And so, from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understandings, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. We can stop there. But that, that, that's his prayer. That's interesting. As Paul writes, you see the relationship between his praying and his teaching. He prays and then he teaches it. He prays that something would be true and then he lays out what that is that's to be true in us. He's, he's praying that we, that they would have a knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so he lays out this spiritual wisdom and understanding which is God's will for us. Here we see that the will of God for us is that we put on compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience and forbearance, being forgiving. That, that's, that's, that's the will of God for us, that we're to put on, as he, Paul puts it in a different place, we're to put on Christ, that, that, that he is the, very, the one who animates our being, and he is the one who lives in us. And we're being renewed, he says here in Colossians chapter 3, in knowledge after the image really of our creator. And so that means that we're to be conformed to the image of Christ. He is our creator. And conformed to the image of Christ. That's what's happening. That's what God's will is for us. So in, in, the, in the language of worship, this particular prayer is both a prayer of, of invocation by Paul as he lays it out in Colossians 1 and a prayer of petition. His invocation is, is, is God be with us. Give us spiritual wisdom and understanding. Teach us. We prayed that as we began our service today, that God would teach us His way, that He would unite our hearts and we may walk in Him. That's His prayer in Colossians 1. And He says, give them spiritual wisdom and understanding. That is an ooky spooky understanding. That's, That's understanding that comes from the Spirit of God. Spiritual wisdom is that wisdom that comes from God, not from ourselves, but from Him. And so He's laying that out as He's writing the very Word of God, as He's carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is spiritual wisdom. This is the wisdom that comes from God. And He's saying, here's how you're to live. Put on Christ. Put on patience. 
Bear with each other. Make sure you're forgiving any complaint that you have against one another. You're to forgive us. The Lord has forgiven you. That's, that's God's will for us. That's how we are to live. That's walking in a manner which is pleasing to the Lord. It's pleasing to the Lord because that's the very image of Christ. God is the one who is perfectly patient with us. And we saw as we listened, I trust, to the call to worship this morning. It came from Psalm 106, and that's a psalm, as we read, of, of ancient Israel. It begins with this sense of, of praise to God, but then it walks through the real down and dirty details of ancient Israel. And I can't help but read about ancient Israel without thinking of my own life. You know, it's, it's easy to sort of get up and say, whoa, look at them. They were, they were just horrible. I mean, I mean God opened, God, God led them uh, out of Egypt with, 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 with these plagues. They saw the miracles of God and how powerful he was. And, and they left Egypt. And, and the scripture tells us when they left Egypt, everyone was healed. They plundered the Egyptians. They had all the Egyptians' wealth. They went out as these people who had been formerly slaves. And now they were healthy and wealthy. And, and God was with them. And he led them uh, by, the, by the cloud. And he kept them by by the fire and all of that and they came up to the Red Sea and wouldn't you think, wouldn't I would think for me, I would think what I would do is say God this is nothing, this Red Sea thing, this is nothing compared to what we've just been through so we'll just wait for you to take care of this and we'll trust you except I don't do that God helps me in various ways and it seems as if I forgot and I get scared again or I think I have to figure this out myself again. Or that I'm alone again. I forget all of that. And then I begin to say, well, it was better back there. Because I'm scared here. I'm just like them. And we see the patience of God. How he bears with us through the course of our lives. You remember Jesus, there was a time when he was with people, with his disciples, and I don't know, I picture him scratching his head, looking at them, and he says to them, how long have I been with you? What else do you need me to do? And I think, oh, those silly disciples. And then I think of me. How long have I known him? How long has he been with me? How long has he cared for me? Have I forgotten everything that he's ever done for me? And I see how patient he's been with me, how much he's borne with me, you see. A little word patience in the scripture, in some of the older translations, uh, uh, simply is translated as long-suffering. How has he suffered long with me? When you think of bearing with one, you think there's a load here that I'm carrying with this other, and there's a load here I'm carrying because of this other one. I'm bearing with them. And so, uh, how has God borne with us? What has he carried? So this is the very image of God. This is the very image of Christ. And now we're to reflect that. We're to glorify him. This is what he's doing in us. He's saying, you want to really live? You want to really have life? Well, this is what it really means to have life. That you be patient, people who are patient because I'm patient. You be people that bear with others because I bear with you. You be people who forgive because I've forgiven you. That's what it means 
to be in my image. That's what it means, therefore, to really live. In the Garden of Eden, we were created in the image of God. That image was broken because of sin. Now it's being restored because of Christ and through Christ. And he says, you want to really live. This is really life. Life really is being compassionate and kind and humble and meek and patient and forbearing and forgiving. That's real life. Everything else apart from that. If you're not that, then you're a walking dead person. But this is really life. And God says, this is what it means to to have this new self, this new self that's united to Christ, where our relationship with sin is now different than it was when we weren't united to Christ. Our relationship with sin now is where its penalty is paid, its power is broken, and we're now to walk in this new self, this new creation, this newness uh, of life. So the apostle says, here's how you live that. He's talked to us about putting off certain things that are inconsistent with this new self. And now he tells us to put on that which is consistent with this new self. To be patient. To be forbearing. And to be forgiving. Now, there's a sense in which uh, Christians are to be patient in, 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 in sort of the general uh, outworking of our lives. For instance, the author of Hebrews writes this in Hebrews chapter 6 and uh, verse, uh, um, verse 10. He says, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnest, earnestness to the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And, and so we get a sense as believers that there's some sense of endurance, that, there's some, that this is a marathon, not a sprint, that when we're called to follow Christ, there's, it's going to take the course of our lives in following Him. And we need to endure, we need to be patient in that sense, and we need to therefore continue on meditating upon the Word even though it doesn't seem to be taking hold as quickly as we think it should. Be patient. God is at work. Continue to pray, even though it seems that our prayers aren't necessarily being answered as quickly or as we think they should. Keep praying. Be patient. Wait upon the Lord. We're to continue to serve people, even though they don't necessarily seem to be responding the way we think they ought to respond to our kind service to them. We're to continue on. Be patient. Wait upon the Lord. Persevere. That sense of, of patience. In fact, Paul speaks of that, prays of that, even in his prayer. In Colossians 1, verse 11, he writes, May you be strengthened uh, with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. So I want you to be strengthened because you're going to need to endure all kinds of things in the course of, of life. So continue to endure, continue to keep the faith, continue to keep on, continue to be steadfast. But here in Colossians 3, I don't think Paul is speaking of that, although it's not out of the question. I think he's speaking about being patient with each other. These are relational kinds of things, being compassionate and merciful and humble and meek. Patient, forbearing, bear with each other, forgiving one another. This is in relationship to each other. We're to be patient with one another. We're to bear with each other. We're to forgive one another. All of these things are relational with us. And what that means is that in the body of Christ, 
Since we're expected to be patient, we should also therefore expect to be annoyed by each other. Right? And since we're to bear with each other, carry weights because of the lives of others with whom we're in relationship in the body of Christ, in the church, as other Christians, we should expect, therefore, that other people will put upon us such weights and that we're to bear them with them. And since we're expected to forgive grievances, we should expect to be hurt by each other in the body of Christ. This is simply part of it. We shouldn't be surprised, therefore, when we're annoyed, when we're troubled by others, when we're put upon by others, even in the context of the life of the church. We shouldn't be troubled, in this sense, surprised, when we're hurt by others because we know that Christ in us, we're to be patient, we're to bear, we're to forgive. Now, it's interesting, just a little aside it's a great mystery as to why God created the earth the way that he did and why he created the world the way he did and why he even ordained that sin would be a part of all of this. Please, on the way out the door, don't ask me about the origins of evil. I just simply don't have the time at the door, nor do I understand that mystery any better than anyone else. But this we know, that in the midst of such a world, we're able to see the height and the breadth and the width and the depth of the love of God. Because it's by way of our own sin that we understand His grace. It's by way of our own sin that we see His patience. It's by way of our own sin that we see His forbearance. It's by way of our own sin that we see how forgiving He is. Now, that's all I can do with that. I can go forward or backwards with that. There you go. That's it. And we're to now apply this in the lives of others. And we're to be patient. There's, there's all kinds of things that annoy us, isn't there, about each other. Not only about each other in the body of Christ, but just in the world in general. We're annoyed about some, some small things, things that we're almost embarrassed to even admit that really annoy us until we're home and then we express our annoyance because somehow we think that's okay. Uh, but... Uh, some small things, but, and, and yet some larger things as well. There's kind of a continuum here, isn't there? There's this petty annoyances that we need to deal with, and, and yet there are some other things that are put upon us to bear that are more difficult, more long-term, that we, we feel the effects of. And then there's real hurts out there that, that we need to forgive. So we can see that kind of continuum from patience to forbearance to, to forgiveness, if, if you will. I was trying to make a list of all the things that, of course, these, none of these are about me, uh, that, 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 that annoy, um, that annoy decisions that other people make that we don't like, that we're in relationship with, we don't like, it might be our kids, might be our spouses, might be our friends, might be other people in our small groups or whatever, we, they make decisions, just annoy us the way they do that, uh, the, the way they spend their money and what they spend their money on, political views annoy us all the time uh, with each other, even Particular theological views can, can annoy us that some people have. Uh, the music that people like and how loud they like to play it can annoy us. The worship music they like, we're really offended by that. Going to church and, oh my goodness, I can't believe they're singing that. 
playing that instrument. Uh, it just annoys us. Um, um, the decorations, or lack thereof, in the church annoy, annoy some people. Uh, just give a couple of million dollars, we can solve this whole problem. Um, the time that something is held. I can't believe you're doing it that, that early or that late or on Tuesdays. Everybody knows you can't do that on Tuesdays. Um, uh, the, the way people uh, always say, you know, or huh, or dude, uh, <laughs> or talk to you when you're in another room so that you have to go into their room, or the way other people drive, or noisy kids on airplanes, or people who are late uh, for church. Uh, those who... <laughs> may not be as smart as you'd like them to be. Uh, those people you think don't like you, the way people dress, there's probably just too many to list of all these kinds of annoyances. But you see, all of these attributes of bearing with and being patient and forgiving have this attitude of mind, attitude of heart that's, that's, that's long-suffering, that, as the Bible puts it, that's slow to anger. These things just don't... Get you. It's it's in some translations, for instance, of 1 Corinthians 13 that, that speak of love as not being touchy. A touchy, you know, a touchy person physically, you just touch them and they, they feel it and they're just angered by that. Emotionally, with something small, just triggers something and boom, they go off. There's this sense of being of, of, of patient people, of not being touchy. Uh, some authors have put it like this. Um, Long-suffering, being slow to anger. Calvin mentioned that, that, that someone who is patient is somebody who's, who's simply not easily offended. Others have, have spoken of that which is on the inside, a sense of restraint, writing this, that, that a person has that capacity for self-control uh, despite circumstances that might arouse anger or cause agitation, to still be self-controlled in the midst of that. So self-controlled as to not retaliate when provoked. Being patient is the ability not to lose patience when people are foolish, not to grow irritable when they seem unteachable. It's the ability to accept the folly, the perversity, the blindness, the ingratitude of men and still remain gracious to them and still to toil on for and with them. Uh, An old church father, Chrysostom, put it like this. He says, being patient is the spirit that has the power to take revenge but never does so. Or this, the spirit which bears insult and injury without bitterness, without complaint, is the spirit which can suffer unpleasant people with graciousness and suffer fools without irritation. That sense of being patient, having that kind of self-control, real self-control, not nail-biting self-control, not you know, lip-biting self-control. But you reach that that attitude of mind that's patient. Now, have you ever thought, why do such small things annoy us so much? May I give you what I think is the answer to that? I think it's that we think we're God. And I think we really think that everything exists to serve us, to make us happy to glorify us because what we really want to do is to make everything in our image what we really want to do is make everything reflect us and when it doesn't well we say we didn't get enough sleep or it's the caffeine but it really isn't now sleep and caffeine probably have something to do that with that so watch all of that 
we're whole people. But really, we need to spend more time in the presence of God so that we can realize that we're really not God, that He really is God. And we really don't have the right, even with our spouses or our children or those who work for us or our roommates or those who are friends, to create people in our image, to make them be like us, do it our way. Now, we have some relationships, of course, where we have authority over people, whether that's in the context of marriage, perhaps, or in the context of family, in the context with our parents and children, or we might be an employer or something like that. But still in the midst of that, we have to always be cautious that we're not God, that everybody really is answerable to him, not to us, ultimately, and that we really don't have the right to make everybody in our image. Others don't exist simply to do my bidding, to make me happy. And you see, when we spend time in the image of God, in the presence of God, we realize that we're not God, that He is. And that's humbling. We realize that we're the created one, that we're weak, that we're utterly dependent upon Him. And we realize too, as believers, we know this so well, that we're unworthy of His kindness to us. Because we've sinned against him. And our relationship with him is one where he gives to us grace. And we who are recipients of grace then must be givers of grace. We are recipients of mercy are those to give mercy. We have been the recipients of God's great patience. Are to be givers of kindness. And do good to those who annoy us in various kinds of ways. Now, there's some more serious offenses, if we could call them that. More serious things that happen that we bear with with other people. They hurt us. Another list, uh, if you will. If I can find my list. Um, There's some doctrinal things which which we have to bear with each other, that we may disagree on. This morning, as Carla was baptized, I was thinking, and there's three things that really uh, split the church, at least in America. There's ideas about baptism. There's ideas about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And there's ideas about church government. And, and you can see churches sort of, evangelical churches split along those kinds of lines all the time. And I'm one who loves denominations. I think it was great providence of God to, to, to give us some sense of forbearance with each other. We can bear with each other easier this way and all of that's good. But we have to be careful that we don't simply put off relationships with each other because of, of these differences. And so in the life of our church, we've tried to, to live together with a certain measure of latitude on the these kinds of things. Um, everybody knows, who knows me, knows that I love to baptize babies and know that I believe in that baptism of babies is real baptism and it just thrills my soul. But you also know I don't pressure anybody, besides what I just said, to, uh, <laughs> to do that because I understand the difference in the body of Christ. We understand that there's some variance here as we understand the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit operates. And so we make some pacts as we come together, how we're going to operate together. And we respect one another in the midst of that. And we're Presbyterian by church government, but we don't, we don't at all mean to say that 
Everybody who isn't Presbyterian has utterly missed it. They've partially missed it. But they haven't utterly missed it in terms of their relationship with God. Because we really do believe that we want to come around and agree with one another on the essentials of the faith. We want to be joined together there and be unified in essentials. And we want to have a sense among us of of liberties and those things which aren't essential to one coming to know Christ and walking with him. And we want to be loving in all things, even if it means we part company from time to time. But those kinds of things. But, but in the midst of that, we have to be honest about that. And, and we have to be honest that those things annoy us. And we'd rather really everybody agree with me about all of those things. And yet we bear with one another about those things. There's more serious things even indeed that we must bear with people because there's some real hurts even in the body of Christ because there's slander. And people lie. People gossip. People speak to one another in ways they shouldn't. They think of one another in ways they really shouldn't. People break promises. People break confidences. And it hurts. And we're to bear with each other in the midst of that. That doesn't mean that we can't confront. That doesn't mean that we can't talk about it. That means we can't go to one another and say, this has happened. But when we do, we we do it not in a spirit of anger, not in a spirit of retaliation, but in a spirit of love. That we continue, even in the midst of those things, to do good to one another, to bless one another, to love each other, to bear with each other. There's all kinds of differences. We we smile often about worship differences and the, the way people worship differently in the body of Christ. And we've determined to bear with each other in the midst of all that and not split over those kinds of things and not have 14 different types of services so that everybody can have their little whatever tweaked in their life. And when it comes to worship, and we say, no, 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 we have all kinds of people and all kinds of ages and all kinds of walks of life and all kinds of backgrounds, so I can decide how we worship. <laughs> I mean, bad. But uh, so we do that. And we say, no, talk to us, but let's, Bear with each other. You know, the world, the, the world has a word called tolerate. And, and really, it isn't a toleration because that gives a sense either of this new kind of tolerance, which is everybody's right, which nobody believes. Come on. Even the most radical postmodern person, I don't think really deep down inside, thinks that everybody's right. That's not the point. I don't have to affirm that everything is right. Old-fashioned tolerance meant, and his tolerance of previous generations, meant that we really are different. We really do disagree, but we won't punch each other. We won't kill each other. We'll live together in all the areas we can live together in. And that's this sense you see, not of toleration in the context of the body of Christ, but, but bearing with each other in love to say, I know we disagree about these things. We've counted them not to be essentials. So, so we're going to bear with each other, continue on with each other, persevere with each other. I'll continue to love you and I'll do good to you even in the midst of this difference. I won't talk about you behind your back. I won't say you're stupid. I won't say that's silly. I'll say, I respect that. I understand that. And then together we're going to live this sense of loving each other, to bear with each other in all kinds of ways. There are times even that believers 
must bear with unbelievers in situations where we have no way to change them. We live in a culture where we have to bear with others to continue to do good with them, even though we radically disagree, even though they may ridicule us. As I think about school beginning and I realize that students at every level, most especially at the university, uh, some of our Christian students will be ridiculed this semester by professors. And they can't get out of that class. They can't do anything about that. They could complain, but it really won't change anything. And they're sitting in class being ridiculed by professors and they're to bear in the midst of that. Paul writes to a group of, or Peter writes to a group of slaves, First Peter in chapter 1, who are in such a situation. They're not only being ridiculed, but they're being, they're being beaten. First Peter chapter 2 verse 18, he writes, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly, For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you've been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you've been healed. He's saying this, follow the example of Jesus in those situations where you can't escape, where you must bear. But don't just grit your teeth. Don't be angry. Continue to do good. That's what Jesus did. He continued to do good even in the midst of that circumstance. And the good that he did was save us. He wasn't deterred by it. He continued on in the midst of it. Of course, if you can do something about it, do something about it. Graciously, kindly do something about it. If you're in it and can't, bear it in love. In fact, later Peter would put it like this for those who suffer like that. First Peter chapter 4, verse 19, he writes, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator. Now, if it stopped there, I'd go, all right, that's good. I'll entrust myself to God. But notice how he finishes. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Implied in that while doing good even to those who are causing your suffering. That's how we're to be. That's the significance of the little expression in Romans chapter 5, where the apostle writes, it was while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus, in just a air-sucking passage in Luke chapter 6 puts it like this verse 27 it says but I say to you love your enemies do good to those who hate you bless those who curse you 
pray for those who abuse you. Now again, that doesn't mean that we make it easy for people to do that to us. That doesn't mean that we stay in situations that we can get out of where we're being abused. It, it, it simply means that this is the mindset that we have. This is the understanding that we have. To the one who strikes you on the cheek off or the other from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic. Then in verse 32 he writes, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. The Apostle in Romans chapter 12 puts it like this. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Then, in verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so, as, so far as depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for its written vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, in order to overcome evil with good, you have to have a sense of long-suffering, you have a sense of endurance, you have to have this sense, really, that God is with you. That he's at work in the situation. First he's at work in the situation to sanctify you. To make you holy. This is his fatherly, kindly, perfect discipline in our lives. That will end up in, as he says in Hebrews chapter 12, a harvest of righteousness... That which we expect, righteousness. Of course, we're going to be more righteous at the end of the day. And peace. Peace with him. Perhaps even peace with others. By way of one's testimony in the midst of that. He's sanctifying us. Secondly, we must realize that as we trust God, justice will be done. It really will be done. Either it's already been done, meted out on Christ, or it will be done. A day will come when that person will pay for those sins. You don't need to make them pay in that same sense. Don't need to retaliate. Don't need to be vengeful. Now, that doesn't mean as parents we can't discipline our children. Sure, we can. That's the place we're to be. That's good for our kids. But we don't do it out of a sense of vengeance. We do it out of a sense of goodness. That doesn't mean we can't prosecute somebody in the courts or, or sit on a jury or be a prosecutor or a judge in the context of our civil courts because that's good for the culture. That's good for the society. That's even good for those who have been caught and who have sinned against others in that respect. But in terms of the attitude of our mind, the attitude of our heart, it isn't a vengeance or a retaliation. It's a patience, a forbearance, a kindness, a goodness, even to those who have hurt us. 
And we do all of that because we remember God's great kindness, his great patience, his great forbearance in our own life. Paul reflects upon that, which is probably why he writes about these things so forthrightly. In 1 Timothy in chapter 1, he speaks of his own life. And he says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, verse 15, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul says, I know the patience of God. I think about my own life. And I think about his kindness to me. Even when I was his enemy. I think about how he's born with me then and even now. How he's been patient with my weakness and sin. Not to destroy me. But to bless me, to do me good. So, I'll be patient. I know that I'm not God. So, I think we should determine today to flush all those little annoyances. Just don't let yourself go there. Think about your spouse, how annoying he or she can be. And not be annoyed by those things anymore. You're not God. Your spouse doesn't have to please you. Even where she squeezes the toothpaste. Um, And our children, our friends... Not to be annoyed anymore. Be slow to anger. And to bear with others who have significant differences but are part of the body of Christ. To bear with them. To say, no, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's not let this separate us. And to bear even with those in the culture who are very different than we are. Their understanding of Jesus and family and sexuality and the sanctity of life, but to love them and do good to them that they may be brought to repentance by the goodness, the kindness of God, not by our anger and our wrath. To know that God's at work within us, that we trust him, justice will be done, he'll see to it in his way, and his way is the right way. And then, of course, there's these significant hurts. These hurts that must be forgiven. We'll take that up next week. Let's pray. Father, I pray for me and for us that you would cause us to have this attitude of mind, attitude of heart, of patience and forbearance. It would be long-suffering that we'd recognize that we're not God. Forgive us for trying to make people in our own image. We can bear with each other various differences. Worship together all those who profess faith in Christ. And even in our culture, to love, to be kind to, to do good to, to never repay evil for evil. Even to those who despise us. May we be like Jesus, 
May people see that in us and turn to him. We thank you for your patience and kindness to us. Well, I pray for those in our congregation, especially since I think of them, of, of, of those who are in significant need today, so many in terms of marriage, in terms of relationships, in terms of finances, in terms of health. Think of Heather Lessig as she goes next week again for more tests and be with her father as the doctors come to know the cause and these seizures and to, to help her. And for father-in-law, for Parker, as he recovers from surgery that he had over the end of last week and be with him, Father, as he considers various health concerns. Father, for those in ministry, I pray, especially on this day for Len Andyshack and his ministry with international students and, and Morgan as she helps as well in that ministry. I, I pray, Father, that you'd be with them. That God, with so many international students here and so many internationals who have, have come to them for help in these days, that you would bless them with many volunteers to, to lead the way to meet with students. Father, I pray that you would bless that work this semester. Students come back, Father, I pray for them in our elementary schools and our junior high and high schools, as well as at the university. Uh, God, that this would be a semester where more and more students would come to know Christ and walk faithfully with him. Father, be with us. Cause us to be a real people of God that we would display that which is true of Christ and we would do it with great joy. This I pray in Jesus' name, amen.